Hey, are you here? Uh-huh. I sure hope so. Your decision to be here is a personal decision. You made it here and, well, we respect your decision. And we thank you for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. It's an interview platform here where you get to listen to fascinating people presented in a personal way. What we have here for you today is an interview from the archives. That means the way back machine. Jeff Pike, a recurring and cherished guest on this show. Until now, there was a total of four available interviews that Paul Leslie did with singer-recording artist Jeff Pike. And now with this episode releasing, there are one, two, three, four, five. I tell you right now, this is the best of all of them. It was done kind of spontaneously, in person, face to face. But the nature of this interview was very personal. Jeff Pike is the frontman and founder of the band A1A, known in the tropical world. A1A has just released the island-inflected album Beach Wrecked when this interview was first heard. And that was, as I mentioned, from the Wayback Machine. Now, the latest news is that Jeff Pike has released a solo single entitled Sunset on L.A. You want to check that out. Hey, just a quick heads up. You know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by listeners like you. You personally can support independent media and give to yourself and to others the gifts of stories. Just visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. And we thank you. Now I think it's time we listen to the more personal interview of Jeff Pike. Let's listen together. As we travel on the song lines that only dreamers see, I sit down with my good friend, musician, songwriter, Mr. Jeff Pike of the band A1A. Thank you very much for making the time to talk to me. Thank you, Paul. The pleasure is all mine, as always. It's been a while since we talked, and now you have an album out called Beach Wrecked. Yes, I do, with my band A1A. It came out uh, officially on June the 6th. The first thing I wanted to ask you, you've talked before about a lot of your influences. I wanted to know, as far as island music, who are your influences? If I go all the way back, the very first song I ever learned how to sing when I was a kid was a, a Harry Belafonte tune called Jamaica Farewell, which was an Irving Birdie song, of course. I did a song also that recorded Mr. Harry Belafonte called Mary Ann. You remember that song? Yes. Yeah. An original Calypso song. And my mother, my mother was a professional organist and an exceptional organist and a pianist. But mainly she was an organist back in those days, and she had a lot of those records and used to play a lot of that stuff on the organ. So if you go back that far, I could probably say that the seeds might have been planted in my youth by Harriet Belafonte and Jamaica very well. But as far as influences later on in my life for island music, probably didn't really start up until Jimmy Buffett, Club Tranny, Robert Greenwich. I wanted to backtrack a little. You mentioned Phyllis Pike. Yes, my mother. That's your mother? Hey, Mom. I think it's very interesting to note that, like me, we both came from very musical families. And certainly, Phyllis is someone that loves music. 
Do you think that her taste in music, because you do have a very unique taste in music, do you think that her tastes in music have molded your music in any way? Yes, I do. She grew up playing the organ around the house and piano around the house and easy listening music and jazz and light jazz, and, and that affected me. Her and I share an uncanny bond and love for music, as you are well aware of, and it has usually no boundaries. But on the other hand, I mean, there's a lot of rock and roll that I care for that she doesn't care for, but then a lot of my that she does. For all these years, you've been in A1A, and A1A is the official and original Jimmy Buffett tribute show. But with the last album, Ship Happens, and this album, Beach Wreck, the songs are all original. But certainly, as you said earlier, the seed was planted in the world of Jimmy Buffett. So I was wondering, what is your reaction to this whole thing? Because unlike some people, where this is just a diversion, this has been your occupation. And sometimes we get to see things that other people don't get to see, and we maybe have a little bit of a different perspective. What is your perspective on this whole Jimmy Buffett world? Ooh, that's a, that's a heavy question. When I first got turned on to Jimmy Buffett, it was 1978, and I was 16 years old, and the first album I heard was You Had to Be There. Uh, I actually had tickets to the show at the Fox Theater, but gave them up to go to Mobile, Alabama to meet a girl. So <laughs> when that album came out, I loved it. And my good friend Ken Mercer and I just played it and played it and played it and played it. And at that time, looking back, I never even saw Jimmy Buffett as a Caribbean artist. I saw him as a rock and roll artist. If you listen to You Had to Be There, in my opinion, as a live album, he was more of a rock and roll show. And he partied a lot, too. And, and it affected his music. And I thought that was more of a rock and roll Rock and roll guy. So that was my first impression on Jimmy Buffett. Flash forward until about 1988 and 89, when I first met Scott Nickerson, and I was doing the Buffett show around Atlanta, and uh, Scott had started the first Paratech Club, and he and I got together, and I formed A1A with him. Things started to develop really, really, really fast. It changed almost every day, because the Paratech Clubs he was forming was growing, and my fan base was growing. And our show was growing. Things started to change a lot. We got to know uh, Jimmy and his band after winning a soundalike contest in 92 from Marietteville Records and saw it as a vehicle for our own musical aspirations, but also as a vehicle for friendship, doing a lot of good for a lot of people and a lot of happiness. Because I was back at all those years, and they were really, really happy years. And I had a lot of good friends. And through all those years, I saw Jimmy at another light. You know, and then we got to know the band, and we become friends, and you get in those inner circles, and you see that it's a business, but it's still a good business. And you see there's so much more to Jimmy Buffett than what the public sees. He sings about this lifestyle that we all love to live about, party about, and go see and listen to and escape. But in reality, he's so much more than that. I mean, when I think of Jimmy, I think more of an artist, a writer, a poet. I want to say a pirate, but I'm not so sure about a pirate anymore. <laughs> But maybe I'm wrong about that. He's so much more intellectual and so much more of not what he sings about. And if you listen to his music as it's grown, I think that the, the image of the let's get drunk and screw party atmosphere overshadows in a huge way his lyrics and his music that he and his band are writing. Does that make any sense to you? It makes a lot of sense. And I wanted to just comment a little bit about that. If people took the time to listen 
and read, they would see Jimmy Buffett as the intellectual person that he is. People think of Jimmy Buffett and they have these images of beaches and margaritas and... That it solved this one huge, enormous drunk party. Right. I think of that too, but I also think about him as a literary person. I think about places like France, far sides of the world like yes. Africa. How much he's traveling, how much he's learned, and he brings all his experiences back to us in song and in books. Is there a member of the Coral Reefer band that you feel especially close to? Peter. Peter and Jim. I met Peter and Jim and Roger back in 1992. I actually got to sit in with them a couple of times at Eddie's Attic back in the back in the day, and that was a lot of fun. When they would come to town, and Scott and I would try and get them booked and get people out to the show, and we'd put up posters all over town promoting Peter Mayer, and, and 10 people would show up. So We had a lot of conversations over the years, and I got a lot of insight from him. Just a person and a musician. I can't really say no, enough good things about Pete and those who know him. could would say the same thing. If I, but they're all wonderful. I've, I've had a lot of good times with Jim. He's a wonderful guy. And all the times that I shared the stage with Michael and Robert, they were very, 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 very gracious. Oh, I can't forget Greg. Greg Taylor and I had a lot, a lot of good times together, and, and he was in the band for a while with us with A1A, and, and it was actually on our, our first album, A1A Live. It's been a cool road, man, getting, getting to know all the guys that made the music. I'd like to move along and talk a little bit about the new album, Beach Wreck. There is one song on there called Chasing the Sun, and that's one song I feel has the most of all the songs. There's a lot of great songs on there, but that's the one that has the most commercial appeal. I think if Kenny Chesney was to get a hold of that song, you'd be hearing it. So tell us about Chasing the Sun. A1A was playing the Rome Braves Stadium in Rome, Georgia, for the Atlanta Braves minor league team. We got there early, and there was a big tailgate party going on. And there were all these young college kids from uh, from Shorter that were partying. And uh, they knew who I was, and they tracked me down. And there was one guy named Cooper. And he goes, Jeff, do you want a rum drink? And I said, oh, sure, I'll take one. And they just really, really, really wanted me to party with them because they loved A1A. And, they, and so he made me a drink. And it was a real, real, real good drink. And we got to be friends. He met me that afternoon uh, on several occasions with a nice drink in his hand and gave it to me. And it was kind of funny because he would stir his drink with his finger. So during the show, I, I thanked Cooper's finger, and everybody laughed, and that became his running joke. About a couple of weeks later, he sent me uh, a couple sets of lyrics that he wrote. He said he writes lyrics every once in a while. And so I looked at it, changed it just a little bit around, put all the music to it, and loved it. Chasing the Sun. So congratulations to Cooper Brown. Yes, sir. I'd like to talk about the band A1A. The band has certainly grown. One of the members of the band wrote a song that I really think is great. This is actually a cover of a song, as in the song was previously recorded. That's Mr. James Cobb, his song Coral Bay Day. But just tell us about the the band in general and also about that song Coral Bay Day. Okay. The cool thing about A1A is it is now is everybody in the band has kind of like known each other for relatively around 25 years. It's like an old, old, old marriage. <laughs> so yeah, there are fights and there are bickers, but we're all really, really close friends, which is really, really, really very important, I believe, as the years go by. But we'll start off with James. James Cobb came to us uh, through Coney. He plays uh, the pan steel guitar synthesizer in our band, which is very, very, very unique. Uh, all the pan steel guitar sounds you hear on the record and live come from James playing on the guitar. It's an extremely complicated technique that he has uh, developed and mastered. And of course he plays harmonica as well too in the band. 
James has a degree in classical guitar performance and composition from University of Delaware. and has a, two classical guitar albums out. He's had some of his music actually uh, sent to universities in Europe where they study his music for classical guitar. He's an amazing audio producer. He's an extremely talented engineer. He's an amazing jazz guitarist and has a jazz band called the James Cobb Project. And they have a new album coming out in the next month or so. But the song Coral Bay Day in question was written by James and released on a project he had several years ago. So when it came time to put Beach Rec together, I took Coral Bay Day and rearranged it completely as kind of an island a reggae kind of feel. Well, sort of reggae, more kind of islandy and tropical. And we were able to use it on the record. Tony Farrell plays bass with us, and he also plays the mandolin. I've known Coney since 1983. He and I played together on and off for all those years with the best of friends. Coney's kind of like the handyman. If it's got strings, he can play it. He's got, he plays the guitar, he plays the bass, the four-string bass, eight-string bass, 12-string bass, mandolin and the lap steel, and he plays pretty much a little bit of everything. And uh, if it's broke, he can fix it, so he's a great guy to have around. And when I'm broke, he can fix me. <laughs> Coney's kind of the anchor in the band, and he knew Paul, our drummer, as well. Paul joined about uh, in 2004 after Scott had left due to medical uh, problems he had. Paul had played with Coney for 20-something-odd years, and we were having drummer auditions, and uh, he got through literally 30 seconds of his first song, and we just stopped and said, you're hired. Paul's been great ever since. He's a wonderful guy, wonderful character, great personality, and a really hard worker, so he's fun to have around. We have Chaz McDonald on lead guitar, who happens to also be, uh, in my opinion, and a lot of guys in our band, opinion, the best bass player that State of Georgia has ever seen. He's also a fantastic guitar player. We always kid him about being a bass player, but then he starts playing guitar and it just blows us away. Chaz is fantastic. He's a, an amazing arranger, a lot of showmanship, and a, a blistering blues guitar player. He and I have been best friends since we met back in 1986 as well. James Hammonds, who can't go unmentioned, who was uh, in the band the past few years. We met James back in the early days uh, when it was just me and Scott, and he was our best friend, and he would help us out doing all kinds of things. He was he was our private pilot. He was our chauffeur. He would book the hotel rooms. He would he would do everything for the band. He was also a police officer. As fate would have it, when, when Scott had to leave the band, James jumped in because he played percussion as well, so it was great having him in the band for the past two or three years. His schedule doesn't allow to, to play much anymore, but he's still part of the band, the band family. We have a new percussion player named Calvin Kelly who comes to us through James Cobb. And Calvin plays percussion with the James Cobb Project. And he's got a degree in percussion, and he runs uh, the Atlanta Drum Music Corps here in Atlanta and teaches as well. And he's an exceptional percussion player and a great guy. And he's good to have him aboard. We have Vance Kelly on keyboards and sax. Vance goes back with jazz back to the mid-'80s. He was almost a rock star back in the day. He has 5,000 stories to tell you about him and his days with Jackal and Jesse Dupree and there's never a dull moment with Vance. Vance has done more for the band in the past few years than anybody could ever, ever, ever uh, acknowledge. Uh, he's an amazing audio engineer. Uh, he's an amazing manager, a road manager, and a keyboard player, and a wonderful sax player, and just all around morale lifter for the band. I wouldn't know what to do without him. That leads me to Ansley Seagraves, our new road guy and production leader. The past few years, we've been growing a lot as a band and uh, our own production company. We have an enormous sound system that's state-of-the-art, and we can walk into anywhere and do a great, 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 great show in-house. And we owe all that to Ansley Seagraves and his lovely, lovely family, Rhonda, and his kids, Quinn and Patrick, who work for us as well. I wanted to talk a bit about the song that Chaz McDonald wrote. It's my favorite song on the album, actually. It's a beautiful song. Please Don't Wake Me in L.A., which I view as the sequel to Come Monday. 
2004. We were playing in Japan. Uh, the United States Navy hired us to come over there and play for uh, their July 4 celebration, and that was really cool, celebrating the American independence in Japan. And it was on the way back. I'm not sure if you've flown to Japan or not, but it's a it's a real long flight. And we had a, a lady in the band at the time named uh, Laurie Ann Barbier. He was now Laurie Ann Colas, great friend, and a very talented songwriter and singer. She's also on the CD as well, as you're aware of. We did two songs together. And the song was written basically by Chaz as just a story of uh, them flying back home. It sounds like they're together on the in the song lyric, but they're really not. It's kind of a mythical story of a guy that's flying back from a long, long, long away trip. Then he meets this uh, strange lady sitting next to him on the airplane, and uh, he develops a kind of romantic infatuation for her. And it's a beautiful song, but it's kind of funny. Chaz talked to me two days ago, and he goes, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. But I just now got the reference that L.A. is Laurie Ann's initials. And I want you got to be kidding me. But that was a story on that. It was written on an airplane coming back from Japan in 2004 while Laurie Ann was snoring and Chaz couldn't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> One of the songs I feel is in the vein of jazz, Moment in Paradise. And I really like that song. I it love that nice song. Groove, Thank you. And it has marimbas in it, which is a very nice touch. Very underused instrument. Uh, that song was written by Coney Farrell and I. He and I wrote uh, the lyrics, and I put all the music to it. It's one of my favorites on the album. But I really like that song, and it's interesting because jazz is not that far of a stretch from island music. And as our friend Ralph McDonald pointed out, when Jimmy wants to be, he can be a jazz singer. He's a great jazz singer. <laughs> Very underestimated. I think he'd be a great crooner. I love Jimmy Buffett's voice. People overlook that. But Jimmy likes jazz. He loves jazz. I love jazz. Moving back to the album, just the title of this, there's a wonderful book written by the late Bruce Chatwin called The Songlines. Ever since I read that book, I've been infatuated with songlines. As you know, Jimmy Buffett references them in a couple of his songs, and you picked this for a title. There's a song of yours called The Stellar Songlines, and it's in memory of the Stellar Sea Cow. So I was hoping you could tell us about that song. It's a very enchanting song, and if someone didn't hear a description of it, they may not know what it's about. So tell us about the song. I was approached by my good friend, an old friend, Captain Harry, from the Tampa Bay Parrothead Club. It was in the fall of 2005. He called me up one day and said he had an idea. He wanted to put together a CD for the Save the Manatee Foundation and feature a lot of trop rock artists and have each trop rock artist write a song for the CD. We wanted my opinion on that. And we talked about it for a while, and I said, Harry, that's a great idea, and I think you could pull it off. And then he asked me uh, if I wanted to be involved, and I said, I'd like to be involved, and I'd like to write a song. At that particular time in my life, I was going through some rough times. Uh, my daughter and I had lost her mother the, the month before, so I was in the process of uh, going through that. Just a lot of the, the pains and troubles that go with that kind of situation happening to you. And I told Harry, I said, you know what, I'd, I'd like to help, but I'm really, really, really just don't have anything in me at all to write right now. And he said, well, you know what, it's going to take some time, so just uh, just give us some thought, and uh, I'll be in touch. And he kept in touch, and it went slow, as most good projects do. Thankfully, it went slow enough for me to actually come around and uh, get amused one day. He actually called me up and said deadline was approaching, and he had had a lot of songs already submitted to the CD, and if I hadn't written one or didn't have any ideas, he had something he wanted to pitch at me. And I said, okay, shoot. He said, well, there's this one thing I'm really passionate about that I want somebody to write a song about nobody has yet. And I said, what, what is that? He goes, it's the Stellar Sea Cow. 
And he goes, uh, I want you to look up the information online and read about it. Maybe you can write a song about it. So I said, well, that's a good idea. That'll give me a place to at least start because I was still going through a, a dry spell. And uh, so I was having a hard time putting pen to paper. So I went online and I looked for the information on the Stellar Sea Cow, got the story. We were hunted to extinction. It was a very, very, very sad story. So I said, I'll try and work with this. And I uh, hadn't written a song in probably close to two years. I approached it from like the manatee singing the song because I wanted to write a song that was special and meaningful that if the person who bought the, the manatee CD heard the song, they would know the story and could relate that song to the manatee and the stellar sea cow. But if somebody's happened to buy our record, they want a Beatrix album or hear me sing the song, they could take away a completely entirely different meaning from the song. It was a cathartic song for me because it was the first song I'd written in a long time and it had to do with life and death, future, and uh, just life questions and things in life that are very unexplainable at times, and like life and death. Then it came out on the CD at the Faraday's Festival, and it was released uh, on Beatrix June the 6th. What kind of things inspire you as a songwriter? Wow. Um, I've always written, I can sit down and write a song. In fact, John Lennon said this once. He said, I can sit down and write a song if somebody asks me to, usually, about something, just like Captain Harry said, could you write a song about this manatee situation? And I did. And um, I can do that, and there's, a, and there's a certain satisfaction to doing that. But I've always liked, you know my music, Paul, so you know what I've, I've always done. Uh, I like to write from the heart and from the soul, and I like to write about things in my own personal life, maybe, and try and help relate my feelings and emotions to other people that may be going through something, be it happy, sad, or just a life situation that they can relate my song to. And I've had a lot of listeners come to me and many times in my life saying, this song helped me through this and helped me through that and that it got me through good times and bad times. And so and that means the world to me. Uh, so my main inspiration for songs like that, I would say, is my soul, my life, and honesty and being really very introspective to myself and my soul and to look around open-minded to my family and my life and my friends and the world around me. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) But now I'm going to take off my hat to a great journalist, Cameron Crowe, and I'm going to shoplift from him. Do you have to be sad to write a sad song? Do you have to be sad to write a sad song? Do you have to be sad? Do you have to be happy to write a happy song? I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, and I've read this, and I've read, I've read about songwriting for years, and I've known a lot of songwriters, and famous ones and not so famous ones. And I've always found it an interesting common thread in a lot of great musicians, a lot of heroes that I respect the way you did. Billy Joel comes to mind, and a lot of others. They always said they write their best music when they're unhappy and things are unfortunate in their life. And I don't know why. For a lot of people, it's like that. I'm not saying it's that way for everybody, but I've always found it uncanny that a lot of artists are like that. And I'm like that, to be honest with you. Uh, I've written good songs and I'm happy, but when I go back to songs that are, that, are, that are more personal and close to me, I wrote when I wasn't going through a particular happy time in my life. So I think you could write a sad song and be happy, but I don't think it would be the best song. I think, I think really good songs come from the heart and come from honest emotion. You can be happy and write a happy song. You can be sad and write a happy song. 
you actually can do that because I've done that myself too. But I think somehow in my life, just the emotions and juices that come with that kind of emotion and things in your life just creates creativity with me. So to answer that question, I think no. Well, we learn from our wounds. Yes, well, we try to. (laughs) The good, the bad. And the ugly. The blessings and the scars. Count them for the blessings that they are. McAnally. Well said. My next question, obviously you've been doing music your whole life. What is it that you like about music? Wow. I never stopped and thought about that in a long time. I first got I first started listening to music when I was a child and ever since I can remember it's just moved me and no one like nothing else ever did. I remember this is going off on a limb here. This one's for mom. And uh she'll get a kick out of this. And uh, so will Amanda too. Uh I remember the first time I was ever really, really touched by by, by a record. Ever. Well actually the well, the first one that got me going was Secret Agent Man by Johnny Rivers and I was like five years old. I heard that then I just bounced off the walls for days. I had a little forty five, a little record player, and I just knew I just loved music. Just it was just amazing. It made me feel happy. It made me feel good. I could dream. You could be anything. You could take the song, close your eyes. You could be anywhere in the world you wanted to be. Do what you wanted to do. The the song inside your head could be a book. It could be it's like a book. It could be anything. It could take you wherever you wanted to go. You could be whoever you wanted to be. Because that song was yours and it was in your heart and it was in your soul and it was in your head. And that's what started it off for me, I believe, was that. And uh, I remember I heard this record in 1968. I know a lot of you rockers are going to laugh. And uh, my grandmother had it. And it was an album by Rod McEwen called The Sea. And I remember it moved me like nothing had ever moved me before. I remember laying on my grandmother's couch being afraid to get up because I was crying and I didn't know why. <laughs> and I just became moved all my life through music. And I knew at a very early age that's what I wanted to do. I, something I had arguments with my father about for many, many, many years. I said, Dad, it's not that I wanted to be a musician. It chose me. I didn't have a choice. I mean, I had it, there was no choice in what I was supposed to be. I make a lot of bad moves in my life. Yeah, a lot of bad decisions. Countless. Uh, a lot of regrets. Yes. But... Um, it shows me, you know, and I love music still. And But I'll be honest with you, you know, being in the business, it takes a lot of the glitter away. It takes a lot of the, in essence, a lot of the happiness away too. And uh, a lot of those special moments you used to have a lot in your youth when you, were, when you were growing up and learning your instrument and learning the trade and playing, they're harder to find sometimes. But when you get them, you don't let them go. And when, you, when I feel that spark, it all comes back, and I'm 10 years old again. I'm on why I love music so much. And you never stop growing. You never stop learning. You never stop writing. My only regret is I don't have enough time to write as much as I like to write and record as much as I like to record. But I'm very grateful and blessed to still have a love for music. Taking a drastic turn, I wanted to talk about another song on the album, the title track, Beach Wrecked, which you wrote with Coney Farrell. Yes, I did. So tell us about that song. Beach wrecked, beach wrecked, beach wrecked. Oops, sorry. Let me think. Coney and I, we would exchange lyrics over the internet. And uh, and I forget which one of us came out with the title. I did not know. But he and I were put, piecing together ideas for the new record. And that was one of them. In fact, the very first uh, few songs that were actually pieced together 
as demos for the album were B-Trek, Moment Paradise, Please Don't Wake Me in L.A., and I think Sand and Sun were the friendly first ones that were pieced together. And B-Trek, uh, we got the chorus first, and we just wanted to put piece together a nice song to uh, to lead the album off, because I knew right away it was going to be the name of the record. I said, B-Trek, boom, that's it. Ship happens, B-Trek, logical transition. Uh, for our theme that we're trying to get there with the with the records, and uh, not a lot to tell really. It's just uh, it kind of wrote itself real quick. Colin and I wrote the lyrics, and this melody came to my head, and uh, and I wrote the song, and I like it a lot. I've I've really enjoyed playing uh, a lot of lead guitar on this record. And if you, in case you haven't noticed, uh, I don't play acoustic guitar on the album much at all. Uh, a couple tracks I do, but uh, I play a lot of electric guitar on this album. Uh, on purpose, because uh, I find it very odd that a lot of people have known me for many, many, many years and don't know that I'm a rock and roll guitar player. <laughs> so I said, or a jazz player. So I kind of wanted to to branch out and show some people uh, that aren't aware of that because they see me with A when they doing the Buffett show all the time. So and Beatrix is one of those songs that has a nice little jazz guitar solo in it, much like Moment in Paradise. So that's a story on that one. Of all the members of A one A. It's kind of interesting. You are a lifelong bachelor. You've never been married. No, I have not. And I'm wondering, what is it that you look for in a woman? Now, Paul. (laughs) Okay. Let's hear hear it. I'm thinking. (laughs) Uh... We're going to travel into the inlets and outlets of your soul. Okay. It'll be a five-part series. Tell us. Time Life series. Uh, sense of humor. Devout sense of humor. Um, a love for music. An extreme love for music. An appreciation of music. All forms of music. Specifically the kind that I enjoy. Uh, emotional. Love for life and family. Very attractive. I hate to say it, but I'm a bit superficial. I can admit that now. He went on the air. <laughs> you know, and I owe that to Gene Simmons. <laughs> you know, we met Gene and I had that talk with Gene Simmons and he was like he said, Jeff, well you, you were there, you know. And uh he gets a lot of flag, but he makes a lot of good sense. But intelligence, good heart, soul. That's a toughie, Paul. Um of course, you're going to ask me now why I never can seem to keep nope. one around for a long time. I, I don't really know about that. But uh, Do you ever see yourself getting married? I'm not going to rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say that because uh, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I mean, I can't get the person I am now as the person I was, you know, four years ago, and it's totally different. And uh, the same with my daughter, you know, having a child is being a father been the most important thing I've ever done in my life. And uh, I wouldn't be the same person without her. But there was many years I wasn't a dad. And uh, when I was, I look back now at that person, not a lot wrong with it, had a lot of great times in my life. And uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. Then I did. Then I adapted. So I don't know. My life is very complex, very complicated, as you know. 
uh, have a hard time because of my my responsibilities to my band, my family, and my life in time after island time. My good friend Paul Leslie. So I don't know. I I'm, I won't rule it out, but I I'm not I'm not going out today and buying any rings. But you know, at 47 years old, I'm pretty I'm pretty stuck in my ways. Well, I'll be 47 in July. I'm pretty stuck in my ways. I'm not sure if I could adapt as well as women that I've known uh, would would want to. Maybe I'm mistaken about that, but I don't know. One of the things that brings people together, whether in a romantic situation or as friends, and Jimmy knows this all too well, other than music, is food. And by the way, I am a hopeless romantic. I know that sounds kind of funny. You know that, too, because we shared a lot of these conversations and bottles of wine. <laughs> I'm very, I'm a cancer. I'm very sensitive. I'm very emotional. I'm very romantic. Though a lot of people don't believe that, it is very, very true. So, um, Well, that I'll, noted, what's that special meal? What is your all-time favorite meal? <sighs> Oh, the meal question. Wow. You know, I think it has to change. I really don't know. This is going to sound pretty funky. For years and years of my life, every day of my life, I would eat at Ryan's Steakhouse. Because <laughs> I've always been on the road. I would go to Ryan's. I'd get a salad bar. I'd get the nice potato salad, the macaroni and cheese, the banana pudding. But... I've actually thought about this question a lot because you ask it about all of our guests on date, and I and I I really can't find an answer for that. It's like if somebody came to me and said, "Jeff, you have two hours left to live. What do you want to eat?" <laughs> I, I don't know what I would do. I think it would just depend on how I felt at that moment in time. Uh, I love Japanese food, you know. I love Italian food. I love I love Chinese food. I love Oregon food. I love Thai food. I love oatmeal. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I love Nutrisystem food. I love everything. I, I don't like sushi, and I don't like beets. And uh, and I'll try most anything once. But if you had, if I had to have one last meal, I'd want a really good fat boy steak that was just done really well, nice medium well, some really nice garlic mashed potatoes, an extremely good bottle of port wine. For dessert, which I would drink all of, I'm sure. <laughs> no salad, because, you know, if you get your last meal, who wants salad anyway? But, I mean, it's all over. You've peaked. Um, <laughs> it depends, you know. I love, uh, I don't know, it depends on my mood. But right now, if, if right now, I'd say, Jeff, you got, you got your last meal, I'd take a steak, garlic mashed potatoes, nice bottle of port wine, uh, some nice key lime pie for dessert. And, uh, All right. A ride home. Moving back to the music, when someone hears you either on a record or when they go to see you perform, what is it that you hope that the listener gets out of that experience? Well, I, that's an interesting question. I want to I want to touch on one thing you said there about listening to me on record and on and live. Uh, as you know, I've always been involved myself in a lot of projects, and uh, the main thing, A1A, being my business all my life, you've noticed that when I sing for the Buffett Tribute Show, it's always in a different voice most of my life to uh, accommodate kind of Jimmy's voice as well. And uh, for many, 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 many years, everybody thinks that's my natural voice when it's really not. And uh, the voice you hear me sing with on like Beach Wrecked and Ship Happens and all my original stuff, that's my original voice. I got a really first high, clear tenor voice opposed to what is on like the first two albums that Scott and I did, A1A Live and Love It Anyways. So with that said, I think it depends on who you see 
live. If you come to an A1A show, uh, our big concert, I want you to have a really, 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 really good time. I want you to have fun. I want you to forget your problems. I want you to just enjoy yourself, enjoy life, and enjoy your friends and your family you're there with. And just go away saying, you know what? I had a really, really good time tonight. I forgot about my work, forgot about my stress. It was almost like being in a Jimmy concert. I had a great time, and that's what I want them to take away from. If they come to one of my Jeff Pike shows where I'm doing my own music, like my songwriter showcases that I do occasionally, I, I like to be more introspective. You know, I'm a big fan of like Dan Fogelberg and Gino Vanelli and Barry Manilow and, and those kind of guys, those kind of songwriters. I want you to, I like you to listen to my music, listen to my words, because uh, I put a lot of thought into those in my performance. Uh, I want you to take away um, something you can use in your own life. Be it from my music as an inspiration to please you, to soothe you, or the words to help you in any kind of situation in your own life, or to comfort you, or but most of all, appreciate an appreciation of, of music and uh, a good songwriting. I hope that I write good songs and a good performance because I'm really, really, really critical of myself and I strive to do an exceptional job when I'm playing my own music. For people, and it's really important to me. And sometimes I'm insecure about it, but uh, I think appreciation, uh, comfort, and knowledge, and taking away something you can live with and have in your heart that you'll that you'll remember and come see me again and buy all my CDs. <laughs> Very interesting. Hats off to Barry Manilow. Hats and now to for Barry. the final question. Oh, you know that this is coming. The hippie uh, question. <laughs> This broadcast is going out all over the world. So what would you, Jeff Pike, like to say to the world? Well, to all my friends uh, who know me and who are my friends and my family who know me and who are my friends and put up with me and have for a long, long, long time, I want to say thank you for allowing me to be me in whatever aspect that may be because there are lots of me's inside. <laughs> As you guys know, thank you for letting me be part of your lives and putting up with me and having a good life. Um, to the rest of the world, live every day. I know this has been said before. I don't want a cliche here. Live every day like you're not going to see tomorrow and treat every person like you'll never see him again. And, and love everybody, man. And it's hard sometimes because life gets in the way and you get flustered, you lose your temper, and just things go awry. And days, weeks, months, even years can go by without you appreciating every single thing in your life. Be it music, friendship, love, family, even your car, your dog, whatever it is, and the Lord. Thank the Lord, whoever he is for you, that you're here. Uh, and live each other. Each day like it's your last and uh, peace. Pray for peace. Pray for the world. Be excellent to one another. Live long and prosper. And uh, enjoy music and enjoy life because it's very short. Count all your blessings. Remember your dreams. Exactly. Thank you, Jeff. I enjoyed this conversation. I have too. Thank you so much. God bless you. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting 
thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good. <laughs>